Ah, remember this man? Salman Rushdie. He had had a fatwa dropped on his head by the Ayatollah Khomeini back in the late 1980s. And the most interesting part of that, which is a death sentence to all observant Shias, that if they see Salman Rushdie, they are to kill him by any means necessary. Why? Because he wrote the satanic verses. And it was about two Indian Muslims, almost like a Cain and Abel story. One good, one bad, both from Bombay, a.k.a. What do they call it now? Whatever the hell they changed the name to. And all of a sudden, they were living in England at that time, and there was a bombing of an airliner coming into London's Heathrow Airport by Islamic terrorists. And the uh, cane obviously took the side of the terrorists. The able took the side of the British authorities, New Scotland Yard. And all of a sudden, Salman Rushdie, who himself was from India, Muslim, decided to talk about Muhammad. And many of these observant Shias said, that is an aberration. That is an actual defiance of Muslim teachings, Quranic law. And because of that, the Ayatollah Khomeini said, death to Salman Rushdie. And you know who signed on to this? How bizarre. Cat Stevens, who sang the song, Peace Train, a father and son. Oh, that's the theme song of the, the Curtis and Anthony, uh, you know, podcast at WABCradio.com. And all of a sudden, from being a folk singer, somebody who would have been seen on the stage with Carly Simon, now he had become a virulent Shia supporter of terrorism. In fact, couldn't even fly. He was on that no-fly list because he had advocated that Salman Rushdie, should die. That's right, die. So why are we talking about Salman Rushdie so many years later? He's on the stage of a literary conference, about 2,500 people. Not WABC listeners, I can assure you that. NPR listeners, you know, they're very much into literary works. And he's introducing a new novel about the fatwa. And he's on the stage and he's talking. And all of a sudden, some guy in the crowd jumps up on the stage and attacks him and stabs him in the neck and starts punching him over and over. Eventually, Salman Rushdie is extricated by helicopter flown to an emergency ward. He will survive this. We don't know much about the attacker, but I can bet you, I can bet you he's one of these zealots because whenever a fatwa is issued by an ayatollah, no matter where they are in the Shia world, it's like uh, the blood feud of a Sicilian, of the Sicilians or of Albanians. The vendetta, the blood feud lasts forever. So here it is. How many years later from 1988? Salman Rushdie is not safe on a stage in Chautauqua, south of Buffalo in New York State. But then again, Congressman Lee Zeldin was on a stage recently running for governor as the Republican in nearby Monroe County, just south of Rochester. And he, too, was attacked. It seems that New York State has become the epicenter where if you want to commit crime and do no time and there are no consequences, come to New York to govern a Kathy crime wave Holcomb because, man, it doesn't matter where you go in New York State, you're subject to being victimized. Maybe that suggests why so many businesses, so many conferences, so many gatherings of people and so many of our people are fleeing south of New York State into Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. I wonder 
who it is that it will turn out to be the intended assassin of Salman Rushdie. Want to bet it's a Shia extremist? Over on the point spread suggests that he's trying to fulfill the fatwa of the Ayatollah. So it was a bucolic, quiet day down in Palm Beach County, outside of Mar-a-Lago, the home of the former president of the United States' his family. And, uh, you know, it's a hotel, it's a golf course, it's the whole nine yards. It's the home of the rich and the famous. If you're poor or lower middle class or middle class, forget it, you can't afford the rates. But standing outside in unmarked cars and in unmarked uh, where, were FBI agents. Now, FBI used to stand for forever busting Italians. Then after the attack of 9-11, forever busting Islamists. And now they were dedicated to going in like moles and moling their way into Mar-a-Lago to find a set number of described items that a confidential informant, a rat who had eaten the Parmesan cheese, probably somebody who will be in the witness protection program if this other comes to a criminal prosecution of the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, had given them a detailed list of the documents that Donald Trump had not given back to the National Archives. And it was suggested that one of these documents or one of these containers held some of our nuclear secrets or nuclear weapon technology or something of that uh, sort, top, 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 top secret. And then I'm saying to myself, since Donald Trump is a collector of memorabilia and of newspaper clippings, he's old school, he's like a clutterer, I bet you this might have been a napkin in which the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill from behind the Kim Shi Curtain of North Korea. Remember, he had traveled to Singapore at our expense. We put him up in the hotels, his delegation, his concubines, in order to meet with then-President Donald Trump. I would bet you that the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill actually wrote down on a napkin what the North Korean nuclear weapon would look like and the missile that would deliver its payload to destroy the West Coast of the United States. And there's no doubt in my mind that knowing Donald Trump, and I've had a love-hate relationship with him, love him, hate him, love him, hate him, that he would actually take that as a piece of memorabilia and store it in his archives. So now we have all this drama. We saw the Attorney General of the United States come out Garland for all of five minutes to explain why the raid. He took full responsibility. He claimed that President Joe Biden knew nothing about it. (laughs) Well, even if told about it, he'd probably have forgotten about it five minutes later. Suffering a little bit of uh, memory loss, uh, loss of uh, remembering what exactly happened in the last five minutes, never mind the last five hours, the last five days. But to suggest that he and he alone made the decision. And notice, who was the FBI director? Ray. Now, you know, the Trumpers, they're all complaining, but this ain't Comey. You know, nobody liked Comey. By the time Trump won the election unexpectedly against Hillary Rodham Clinton, and when Trump was inaugurated, he had a chance to fire Comey. At that point, that FBI director, Republicans would have cheered, Democrats would have cheered, because he was loathed by everyone. Instead that Donald decided to keep him on. And then finally he whacked Comey. And after whacking Comey, who did he take in as his new FBI director with the seal of approval of Donald Trump on him, president of the United States, Ray. 
Now, who was Ray? He was the personal attorney for Shamu El Hefe Chris Christie. He had represented him during Bridgegate. He had secured Christie's cell phone and hid it in a locked safe. Ah, locked safe, get it? They broke into the locked safe in Mar-a-Lago. Didn't break into the locked safe. A private defense attorney, Ray, at the time. And that would have answered if, in fact, Christie should have been directly implicated in Bridgegate instead of his sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys being found guilty and going to jail. So you see, Trump, you appointed Ray. You can't now say he's part of the deep state. I don't believe either side on this. I want to see how it plays out. I don't trust the FBI. I don't trust the DOG. I don't trust Republicans. I don't trust Democrats. I know that they will say anything that benefits their political agenda. So let's wait and see, my little pretties. <laughs> well, glory, Haliaski, hallelujah. Not United Nations, I wonder what the hell they do most of the time, have declared this day International Youth Day. Now, what does youth mean nowadays? Well, if you're 30 years old or under, Now, half the population in the globe, in the world, is 30 years old and under. Mm, Just a few more years, 50%, make that 57% of the population will be 30 years old or under. What's going to happen to us, the Altacacus, the baby boomers? You know, I charge all of you, you uh, ute, wayward ute, ute who seem to be lost with your cell phones, your technology, your I and me way of living, your earbuds in which you put yourself into a cone and you block out everything else. So many of the youth which believe in the cancel culture, you become snowflakes. God forbid you hear something you don't like. Oh, I'll never survive. Youth who in many instances have become extraordinarily soft and not bricks. Youth, you're going to run the world. And I accuse all of you, j'accuse all of you of ageism. You know what ageism is? That means you make fun of people like me, people who are baby boomers. I accuse you of ageism, crimes against senior citizens, because it happens all the time. And I know you would much rather be called uh, guilty of ageism than sexism or misogyny or homophobia or, dare I say, racism. But I will accuse so many of you of committing the crime of ageism. And I have been victimized with so many others. Me verbally, obviously not physically. But for so many uh, other altacacus and old timers, it's universal. That those who are 30 and under make fun of us, talk bad about us, when given an opportunity will smack us, rob us, steal from us, and then make excuses for their aberrant behavior. So, supposedly the goal of the United Nations in declaring this International Youth Day is to bring all of the generations together. Does that mean the hipsters and millennials, too, who are older than 30? Does that mean Generation X, Y, Z, the forgotten generation? You're going to make amends for all of your indiscretions on this International Youth Day as declared by the United Nations, and I'm still wondering what the hell they're doing in this globe. I challenge all of you. You don't like being called sexist, misogynist, homophobes, and most importantly, racist. 
But get off our jock straps. I'm tired of you being ageist. I'm tired of you attacking verbally, rhetorically, and in all your vignettes, people of my generation, baby boomers. Yeah, I know we line up for the blue plate specials, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I know we drew at times when eating our maple and oatmeal. But leave us the hell alone. Because now you're the majority, and we're the minority. And remember, minorities are a protected species. You got that? You got that, youth? Way with youth? Youth? Wherefore art thou? Wherefore art thou? Our sacred guardians of femme fatales. You know, there were so few heroes for females to look up to when I was growing up as a baby boomer. There were few and far and in between. The one that was clear to uh, all young boys and all young girls and older men and older women was Joan of Arc. Oh, yeah, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, who came out of a little French village. When she was 12 or 13, she was hearing voices, supposedly from God, you know, like a lot of our politicians who supposedly hear from God, you know, like Eric Adams, God, God told me to run for mayor, Ted Cruz, uh, God told me to run for president. I don't believe either one of them, but I do believe that Joan of Arc may have had that pipeline to God. Be interesting. Was it a female God or a male God? Doesn't matter. So at 12 to 13, she was hearing these voices, and people thought she was insane in the brain. And and France was in the midst of, get this, a 100-year war against the Brits. Can you imagine being involved in a 100-year war? Slaughter on both sides. So Joan of Arc becomes a teenager, and she hears the voices again. And the voices are telling her, Shear your hair off. Put on the garments of a warrior. You are to lead the French in the Battle of Orleans to defeat the British menace because if the French lose Orleans, not New Orleans. Yeah, they lost that too. Remember General Jackson, the War of 1812, but it was after the War of 1812 was already declared over. But what the hell? They got it on anyway. I digress. And here it is, a teenager led the French forces and destroyed the British army on the battlefield of Orleans. And then suddenly Joan of Arc years later was taken captive by the Brits. And the Brits, they shaved all her hair off. They put her in, God, a horsehair dress that made her itch and itch and itch. And then they said that they would burn her at the stake unless she renounced her love of France and her love of her God, which was obviously the Roman Catholic J.C., as opposed to the Protestant God of the English, which was also J.C., but we can talk about that later, how crazy they were to kill one another over the fact that they worshipped the same God. But anyway, so here's Joan of Arc. They put her at the stake. They say, renounce your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She would not. They torture her. They light her up like a candle. She's burning. She's melting. She will not renounce France, her beloved France. She will not renounce Jesus Christ. In fact, she screams out, Jesus, as she's turned into a puddle of wax. What a great female hero, right? Now, what do they want to do? (laughs) 
turn him into a non-binary. Like, what? Why do they always do this to women? Women athletes, women starlets, women iconic figures. Are they going to do this to Mother Teresa next? There have been so few heroes for women in our history because women were repressed. There was prejudice against them. Their stories couldn't be told. Now, all of a sudden, here's a great story we all grew up with. We watched the movie on TV, Joan of Arc. Women were inspired over the ages. And you want to make her non-binary? Why? Because she wore horsehair dress and had shorn clothes and wore military garb. Really, if I were to say that, I would be considered homophobic. But if you can suddenly write that into a script, you're woke. You're woke. You're disgraziata. You're a shanda. Leave Joan of Arc alone to be a hero of the femme fatales of the world. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.